Hello, and welcome to the Adra Insider Podcast, where we share insights into our work and the people behind the work that we do. I'm really excited to introduce to you today my guest. His name is Sopip Sreng. You hail from Cambodia, and you are Adra Canada's Gender Equality Manager. Welcome. So happy to have you here in the studio. Well, thank you, Heather, for welcoming me. What's a lovely thing. Mm-hmm. So you are the Gender Equality Manager. And I know I have questions about what that means, so I'm sure that our <laughs> listeners and viewers do as well. But before we jump into that, I'd like to hear a little bit about you. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I've seen your name on emails, um, and then when I go to the office and walk around, people say, oh, Heather, you need to talk to Soapeep. <laughs> Soapeep has a story. Okay. And so now I'm so excited to finally hear your story. So please... Share with us about your background and how you came to be with Adra. Sure. Thank, thank you, Heather. Thank you for the warm welcoming. So I am a proud and happy father of two sons. Mm-hmm. Lovely. I've been married to my wife for the last 15 years. Mm-hmm. I cannot ask for anything else more than this lovely family. You know, I, I grew up in, in the northeast of Cambodia, mm-hmm. uh, a town with a population of about 100,000 people mm-hmm. and uh, with some great Blessings. I was able to move from that town to the capital city of, of, of Cambodia, Phnom Penh, took my bachelor and then went back home for some short breaks with community development work mm-hmm. and then continued to do my master in, in Thailand. Mm-hmm. And here I am with Adra Canada Gender Equality Manager. Mm-hmm. What an awesome opportunity. So you said with many blessings, you are able to achieve these things. Can you tell us about those many blessings? What exactly happened? When I was growing up at a very young age, I was kicked off from home. Mm. And uh, the only place I I would sleep was somewhere on the street. And every night I would go to um, a shop and pick up leftover food from the table and that would fill the stomach. And one day uh, we will... With my friend, we were looking for some labor job to dig canals. Uh, and then while we were walking on, on that street, um, I saw this handwritten sign, and it's one of these Cambodian households. It says, English class. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know what to do. Uh, my friend and I, we stopped in. And it was such uh, an experience that the teachers there welcomed us and uh, brought us in to, to the church. And with one dollar that my friend uh, gave me to pay for the English class and with introductions to uh, to Jesus and how, you know, he would be willing to forgive us and give us what we pr- pray for, I did exactly what uh, I was told. And I made my progress every time I began to sit down with my friend, with my teachers, study the Word of God, and slowly began to realize that this is the only way I could achieve greater blessing and I've been so so blessed with all of those opportunities but before knowing the church mm-hmm. I was a very early aged I remember it was in 1993 when the United Nations came over to Cambodia and that was the time I was kicked off from home and I began my life on the streets mm-hmm. until I came back home so with so many years 1993 all the way to 2000 I was just living on myself mm-hmm. yeah I think the English class that was provided by the church, this one dollar, the one dollar that our friends and colleagues, whether Canada or in other countries, giving to our developing countries, mm-hmm. 
know, that's one dollar can go so far. Mm-hmm. And if you ever wonder where the donations would go, that's how it would go. Mm-hmm. And of course, many programs that Adra Canada is doing actually helping many boys and girls just like me mm-hmm. to be able to transform from a boy of nothing to somebody now working internationally. Mm-hmm. And this is something, of course, can only be done with the power of God. Mm-hmm. And it was the blessing I mm-hmm. received when I, the first day I stepped into the church and the day I began to follow the Bible. Mm-hmm. I was told, confess our sin and begin your prayer. Mm-hmm. And I did exactly just that. Mm-hmm. And it helped me every time and everywhere I go. Mm-hmm. And this is how I find so reaching experience just to be able to work internationally, but to be able to achieve so great with the power of love and Jesus Christ. Mm, that's wonderful. Yeah. How did you manage to survive as mm-hmm. a child on the street? Every day, me and my other friends, we would carry this bag, this plastic bag, you mm-hmm. know, uh, and then on our bag, we would walk from one place to one place, one shop to one shop. And what we do regularly is to pick up cans and bottles from the streets, put on your bag mm-hmm. while you continue walking wherever at night you sleep there. Mm-hmm. Luckily, if, if the time is night, you can find some things to eat from the leftover food or from the trash. That's all you could do. And then you just have to keep continue doing like that. So with all those many years, the survival was basically whatever you have, whatever you can find from the streets. Mm-hmm. I can tell you this. I remember very clearly I had a pair of clothes in my body for one whole year. Mm-hmm. And that's all I could ever have as my asset. Mm-hmm. This pair of clothes and this bag where I put my bottles and cans mm-hmm. from place to place. And at night, you sleep under roof, under banana trees. That's one of the most difficult time because at night it's dark. Mm-hmm. At daytime, I could just continue my normal routine, pick up cans, exchange for food. Mm-hmm. That's how I survived. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you remember some of the thoughts you had at the time? I remember uh, two, at least two thoughts I had. Number one, I hate my province. Mm. I hate it so much. And I blame myself and I blame my family why I have to live on the streets. Mm-hmm. Um, it's such a terrible experience living in the families with so much violence. Um, I had no choice. Um, I was beaten almost every day and there's no way I could survive. So mm-hmm. I stopped out of home and I hate, and I hate, I hate my province. I hate my family. I hate it so much that I just want to disappear mm. from those areas. But I know one thing that maybe, you know, whatever I could, one day I could step out of this and make some little changes to the community where I I belong to, which was that part of the countries. And then when I became, you know, agile with all this blessing, with all this skill in it, I be thought of reflecting like, wow, I didn't know how my journey would now land me into an opportunity where I work in international development, mm-hmm. providing assistance and programs to support poorest country in Cambodia, in Myanmar, in Kenya, mm-hmm. in Uganda, in the Philippines, mm-hmm. supporting these kids, these boys to be able to go back to school and begin their journey. Mm-hmm. How amazing that would be. And now I didn't hate my province. I actually felt in love mm. because I got an opportunity to do something mm-hmm. that other kids 
don't have to suffer like me. Mm-hmm. Because every time I look at these kids, I say, no, if I can do better for them, mm-hmm. let's do it. Mm-hmm. And that's why I never forget my friends who give me one dollar for the classes mm-hmm. and how those one dollar have shaped my life since then. That's amazing. The same way how our international development programs work. Mm-hmm. You know, our donations from different parts of the world, from the government, from our church members. These donations go that far. Mm-hmm. Can you imagine that? You know, some say like one dollar is nothing, but those one dollar that mm-hmm. I receive from my friends, mm-hmm. it's meant a lot for me. It changed your life. For, yeah. So how did you go from one dollar English classes to advanced studies to this very specialized niche in the development sector of gender specialist advisor? You know, I remember this very clearly. Um, I had a very terrible family experience. My mom is very strong woman. She has other six kids. Mm-hmm. She works from very morning, four o'clock until 8 p.m. Mm-hmm. every day. And with very brief time, I live with her. And then when I came back in 2000, I saw those struggles. Mm-hmm. You know, I saw those moments that she wanted to be somebody that the community recognized as the women. Mm-hmm. You know, somebody that who has zero education can achieve greater for her family. Mm-hmm. Not for herself, but for her mm-hmm. families. And with those experiences I saw, like, you know, I began to explore interest in women issues. Mm-hmm. Because in that time, in early 2000s, the concept of development looking at the issue of gender equality was very limited. Mm-hmm. So I began to look at issues of women. So women's studies was the main topic. Mm-hmm. But slowly through development, we understand that the issues of gender inequality, it isn't women issue. Mm-hmm. It isn't men issues. Mm-hmm. It's the issues of everyone and mm-hmm. every society. Mm-hmm. And then I began to look into areas of gender and development. Through those exploration of different study options, I got a scholarship to go to, to Thailand to take my two-year postgraduate studies. Mm-hmm. When I finished those studies, I came back home and dedicated my last 10 years just working with communities, with women and men's groups and mm-hmm. local uh, leaders to be able to transform some of the positive norms but break down barriers that women experience in order to achieve their aspirations, mm-hmm. whether women's economic empowerment or whether education. Mm-hmm. And with all of those, with so much commitment that Adra Canada placed in working with marginalized communities, in advancing women's prosperity, economic empowerment, gender equality, it is perfectly matched with what I've been doing and what I'm passionate about. Mm-hmm. And when I work with Adra, we're working in Myanmar, we're working in Sudan, in Kenya, Cambodia, the Philippines. Mm-hmm. One of these places have the most difficult environments for women and girls to grow up. Mm-hmm. But there are some great allies. Mm-hmm. There are many men, there are many local leaders that we can work together to shift the status. Mm-hmm. And we've been doing that. And I think there are going to be some great results coming up in the next two years or three. Mm-hmm. So would you say that um, this work 
to empower women and girls to reach their full potential. Clearly, it's benefiting them directly, but are there benefits to the rest of their family members? Are there benefits to their community when that happens? Absolutely. Research shows that women invest probably three or eight times more of their income to the families, Mm -hmm. to the families, to their kids, to their societies. Mm And we've seen this in society where women have um, economic ability or empowerment and have the chances to reach their potentials. Mm-hmm. Economies grow, society mm. grows. The study shows that if women are able to maximize their potentials mm-hmm. in the labor market, the economy of that country increases significantly. Mm-hmm. And that what it means to us as development worker, as ADRA, working with women's groups, empowering them to be able to reach their potentials. Mm-hmm. We can see the benefits definitely go far beyond that individual level. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, to the whole yeah. country. It is. It is. Yeah. 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 Let me give you an example in, in Cambodia mm-hmm. where we've seen um, diff- different uh, programs where women are able to uh, access to um, economic livelihoods. Mm-hmm. We've seen great incomes come in, mm-hmm. right? So through working with men and through working with women, they're able to maximize those incomes and benefit the families. Mm-hmm. I'll give you another example in, uh, in Uganda or in Kenya, right? Well, our work with the male and female champions mm-hmm. and we give them training skills they need. Mm-hmm. And imagine without our work to be able to support them, they would not have the opportunities to access the resources and life skill training that they would be able to use for their own livelihoods, for their own career. Mm -hmm. And by working with them, by supporting the trainings, by bringing the skill that they need, definitely they are slowly will be able to get up and get some good skills needed to build their families and build their society. Mm-hmm. And imagine this small community, but with multiple villages, mm-hmm. multiple community, with multiple countries. Together, how would that work and support the global prosperities? Mm-hmm. I can't imagine a development that only benefits the rich. Mm-hmm. Our development goes very, very far mm-hmm. that you would find very remote poor household family members engaging in our work. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure in the next two or three years when you go in to see that, you will see a big smile in their kids, big smile in their families Mm -hmm. because our interventions touch their lives and improve their status. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. We consulted with the communities. Mm -hmm. We work with them as partners. Mm -hmm. We discuss problems together. We identify solutions together. Mm -hmm. And from those solutions, we put together a joint actions that communities and ADRA can read and can agree on. Mm-hmm. And from those, it gives a foundations that the work we do, mm-hmm. even those with it ADRA, but isn't ADRA alone. Mm-hmm. It's locally established by our own community members. And that gives us a very solid fundamental evidence about why we're doing what we're doing. Mm-hmm. Because these are the development challenges that our communities are asking and are needing for. Mm-hmm. And as a development professional and as, a, and as an agency, it would be very effective to work with partners like that, mm-hmm. identify joint problems mm-hmm. and address solutions together. Mm-hmm. And remember this, development 
successfully, effectively can be achieved through working in local partnerships mm -hmm. with women's groups, with the men's groups, with the local leaders. Mm -hmm. That's good development practice. If we cut that off, mm -hmm. it would be very, very hard to achieve sustainable goals. Yeah, I was going to say that sounds like it's building in sustainability so that even when the project is done, they have the, the know-how, the capacity and the confidence to continue onwards with their goals and their, their dreams and aspirations. Yes. Ultimately, these are the goals and priorities that established and owned mm -hmm. by the local communities. Mm -hmm. You know, of course, Adra are not going to go anywhere soon, but the fact that the communities have ownerships, mm -hmm. the fact that the women say, this is what I want, mm -hmm. this training skill that what I need to build my family, mm -hmm. and I think I'm going to do everything I can to invest my time to make it happen. Mm -hmm. That means a lot to them. Yes. That means a lot because we can see that's going to go. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> So I, I love that this, um, yeah, has that local ownership yeah. and um, because they are priorities to those people, concerns that they have yeah. and uh, the goals that they have as well. Mm, yeah. So what I'm hearing is that ADRA is very locally connected. Mm -hmm. It's really um, has its finger on the pulse of the local communities yes. with which it works, but yet it's also... A global network absolutely yeah. and is in alignment with mm. global priorities can mm. you speak more about that about that i don't want to say dual nature but mm, how it's both of those things yeah. so i think this is very important because what's happening in developing countries will have effects in developing world mm. and the same way what's happening in developing in developed world mm -hmm. will have effects in developing nations right. i'll give you an example um why Adra remains one of the global leader in international development, mm. right? We position ourselves in a way that aligns so closely with the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals. Mm -hmm. Give an example, goal number four, goal number five, mm -hmm. where we invest our programs in achieving quality of education for our younger children. Mm -hmm. Goal number five, where we work with men and women to improve equality and status of women in different countries around the world. Mm -hmm. These investments definitely part of the global priorities. Mm -hmm. What ADRA is doing is actually positioning ourselves, not just in alignment with these priorities, but in supporting the global community mm -hmm. to achieving a promise that no one is left behind mm -hmm. in our development journey. Mm -hmm. Second point, what I think is very important, and it's very good to talk about this because we are in Canada. And our programs very much so supporting the priorities of the feminist international assistance policies mm -hmm. that the Canadian government put forward several years ago. Gender equality and women's empowerment is one of the core priorities mm -hmm. and how we could address extreme poverty mm -hmm. and how we could address global prosperities. And the way that ADRA does, especially the job I'm doing right now with two projects I'm supporting, mm -hmm. our investment really zoom in to address one of the root causes of inequality in gender issues, in women's empowerment, mm -hmm. in working through local leaders, in making sure that those obstacles and those power dynamics mm -hmm. are being removed so that people can now step in into the light and be able to address and support their own journey towards prosperity. Mm -hmm. And that is amazing. You look at it, it's more part of the puzzle, mm -hmm. but globally we are all connected. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. So Adra's commitment to empowering women and, and gender equality more broadly mm -hmm. is not only in alignment with our national and international policies and goals. To me, it sounds like ensuring that our work at the local level mm. is not causing harm. Absolutely. Ensuring that the initiatives that we take, mm. the decisions that we make are not perpetuating mm -hmm. existing injustices. Mm -hmm. Do sure. I have that right? That's, Is this kind of like a safeguard against that? Absolutely. You know, one of the principles that ADRA um, hold into is do no harm. Mm -hmm. So in our development priorities, we have to be able to analyze the risk mm -hmm. and what are the mitigation factors that we can do to support um, uh, any or to remove any harms that might be resulting from our interventions. Mm -hmm. And that is not just um, uh, a good practice as an agency, but really a moral obligation mm -hmm. as an agency, as an individual, mm -hmm. that what we, whatever we do, that will not lead to further harms, mm -hmm. right? And that's why we give a lot of um, emphasis in engaging with women's groups, mm -hmm. in engaging with men's groups, in engaging with local leaders to be able to identify common grounds, common objectives, mm -hmm. and possibly identify some of the potential effects or impacts mm -hmm. out of those interventions mm -hmm. and together work with them to address specific uh, intervention examples right mm -hmm. yes. if in places where we know that to engage women we have to seek permission or we have to work with men so that their husbands their fathers can let their girls, their daughter, their wife to join our program mm -hmm. in skill trainings. Mm -hmm. Imagine if we go there right away, we mobilize women without consulting with the local leaders, without consulting with the males. It's going to be very challenging. It can put these women at risk. Yeah. It can put our staff at risk. Mm -hmm. So the approach we like to do is to understand a power dynamics in each community we go, mm -hmm. sit down with the local leaders, discuss with those who have powers, mm -hmm. and engage with them in a way that at one point in time they grant us access mm -hmm. to other development challenges that we might be able to work out mm -hmm. and it's seen based on my experiences when we do that thoroughly mm -hmm. we are able to see not just numbers of women who are coming to attend our programs but good participation mm -hmm. they feel confident mm -hmm. they feel happy because they don't have the fears yeah. that when they go back home somebody's going to attack them mm -hmm. that they have this ability to articulate the ideas because Imagine if they have no fears in mind, they are able to express themselves mm -hmm. much, much, much better. And that's where one can learn better mm -hmm. in, in absorbing knowledge and skills. Mm -hmm. And that's the good thing. So, yes. you know, we are there to do good. Mm -hmm. Let's do everything we can mm -hmm. to even improve our environment and their environment mm -hmm. and together achieve a joint result. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Listening to you talk, I get the feeling that gender issues are quite different in other countries than they are here in Canada. Mm -hmm. Obviously, in Canada, we don't have it 100% awesome. Mm -hmm. <laughs> there are disparities and gaps here as well. But um, for example, uh, this morning, my son has a fever and mm -hmm. he can't go to daycare. And normally, I would need to stay home. Mm -hmm. But my husband knows that it's important for me to do this work. Amazing. 
So he is home today until I can get there. And then we swap off, you know, so we're sharing that child care Mm -hmm. responsibility. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that that is not the case in many of the countries where we are working, Mm -hmm. this kind of shared understanding that we are both equal. Mm. uh, We both have value, both have things to do, things we want to do, things we want to achieve and support each other in that. Could you share with us some of the challenges faced by women and girls in the countries where we are working, in the countries that you're overseeing? How is it different for them there Mm. than what we have here in Canada? One of the challenges that that women faced in, in many country that we work with, these the, the issues of unpaid labor, mm. the issues that working at home, cooking, cleaning, washing, that's the women's job. Mm-hmm. That's the only job they do. Mm-hmm. Many societies don't even consider us as a job. It's a women's obligation, right? So mm-hmm. Cambodia, for example, Kenya, for example, Uganda, for example, right? And that brought me back to the previous topic when I talked about if women were able to maximize their potential, step out of that quote unquote women obligation Mm -hmm. they can achieve so much for their society and for their nations Mm -hmm. our interventions need to be closer to home Mm -hmm. so you would have to consult with women say what is the best time for you Mm -hmm. they may say well one o'clock we finish our meal we have some time so we can talk about skill trainings Mm -hmm. program development livelihood development microfinance for example so we would approach our intervention on that particular time Mm -hmm. of the day Mm-hmm. You know, and this is going back to the fact that addressing gender issues cannot be done only with women. Mm-hmm. We need to be able to engage with their husbands. Mm-hmm. So in our interventions, we not only consult with women groups about time of the day, we also consult with men. Mm-hmm. You know, what would be an appropriate way of engaging with, with women's groups, with their wives, for mm-hmm. example. And by that conversation, we are able to slowly address a joint development issues or the challenge that they face mm-hmm. in a time, in a day that mm-hmm. they feel confident. Mm-hmm. And it isn't about leaving the home behind, mm-hmm. like leave the kids to fend for themselves. It's mm-hmm. about, as I understand it, building uh, teamwork within the family, building an environment where all can feel supported on their journey to achieve their potential that's going to come back and benefit the family as a whole. And then you take it from the family to the community at large, to the society at large, to the country at large. It's, yeah. And slowly it changes the the perspective when Mm -hmm. women are able to um, gain skills, Mm -hmm. get better access to resources that they need. Men begin to say, wow, I didn't know about that. I didn't realize that. I said, yes, you know, it's (laughs) wonderful that now... We're not just only viewing women as a beneficiaries or women as women doing their own private job, mm-hmm. but as an active agent of change, that mm-hmm. they can make change in their own lives, in their own communities. Mm-hmm. And that will change because result shows women are now representing in many corporate worlds, in international development programs, in head of states. Mm-hmm things will change Mm -hmm. and these change will trigger down, will generate even longer lasting change Mm -hmm. and impacts to the rest of the world. And positive change. Yes. 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 So you mentioned women's roles Mm. 
you know, in these countries and, and what it is exactly that they're up against being women, mm. uh, their role and, and what they're allowed to try to do with their lives. But what about perceptions of their value? Mm -hmm. Are there differences there as well? Absolutely. I, I'm glad you brought this up. Mm. I bring you an example of Cambodia. You have this value that says men are gold, women are white cloth. When white cloth drop in the mud, it gets there forever. Mm. But when gold drop in the mud, we pick it up, we cleanse, the value is still there. That kind of value and that concepts really put women so low in mm -hmm. society. Mm -hmm. And some even not even encouraged to go and advance their career because as the white cloth, you will drop any point in time, you're there. Mm -hmm. And when you have that mentality, what happens, you have this equal relationship. Because women as the white cloth, men as the gold, there's no way that white cloth can be equivalent to the gold. Mm -hmm. And I'm saying that I don't mean to accept that. I, I, I hate this equivalent. I hate this unequal relationships. Mm -hmm. And I'm hoping that we begin to change that value and mm -hmm. that mentality, begin to look at our women as an equal partner, as an equal human being that have great values and that can support one another. Mm -hmm. And that is why the issues of gender equality is so important because we touch on the power and the value systems that perpetuate inequalities. Mm -hmm. And that such systems should be changed. And many women want to change that, based mm -hmm. on my experience. And no women want to be called white cloth. No. Right? They want to be called Heather. They want to be called superior. They want to be called mm -hmm. equal partner. Mm -hmm. And I think with that um, momentum, if we approach our programs and our intervention appropriately, we can at least support that kind of concept that women want to achieve for themselves. Mm -hmm. And that will give them another level of commitment to even go further to building their skills, to recognizing themselves as a human being, to mm -hmm. value themselves. Mm -hmm. And when someone values themselves, they can do so much for themselves yes. and for the society. Yeah. Yeah. I was just thinking too how the way we value something mm -hmm. or someone mm -hmm. plays directly into how we treat them. Absolutely, yeah. You know, um, this is a mug. Yeah. <laughs> if I break it, oh... I broke it. Yeah. You're a human being. Yeah. If I do something to break you, mm. that's not just, oh, I broke him. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and if there is such a strong difference in perceptions of value, then I don't want to think about how women are treated in pl places like who hold these mm. perspectives. It must yeah. be very brutal. Yeah, so. very brutal. And and one of the good things that ADRA is doing is, is we're working with uh, students, with teachers, mm -hmm. and we are revising some of the curriculums. Mm. And definitely some of the norms, the negative norms, mm -hmm. will be thrown out of the textbook. And of they're course, in textbooks. They're in textbooks. That say... These kind that perpetuate these yes. kinds of values yes. and perspectives. And, wow! But the good thing is that we have some reform-minded partners mm -hmm. in different government agencies mm -hmm. who want to make sure that the textbooks are being adopted with positive messaging, mm -hmm. and that our colleagues and our partners are doing with teachers, looking at some of the terminologies that have these bad connotations, mm -hmm. and use them with other appropriate and more empowering terminology so that we don't look at women as different value. Mm -hmm. We look at our students and our peers and our colleagues and an equal 
partner. Mm -hmm. And I'm so blessed because I was in that room when they look at all these curriculums. They go word by word, sentence by sentences. I am sure when that's get out, I will get you a copy. It's going to be so great. Yes, I'd love that. (laughs) Yeah. We can share it through our channels as well. Yeah, no, absolutely, yeah. Yeah. Well, Sophie, thank you so much for coming and for sharing. This is really uh, insightful yep. and exciting to learn that ADRA is a part of this. I'm, I'm really grateful that ADRA's work is addressing these issues because, like you said, it really sounds like it's part of the core yep. of what drives problems but can also be part of the core of what drives lasting change. And I hope we can have you back on the podcast, hopefully in the studio next time you're in Canada, or, or maybe Frank can meet you in the field somewhere. We'd love to have you back. It's been a real pleasure. Thank you, Heather. Yeah. It's been a pleasure to meet you. Thank you. God bless you. If you'd like to learn more about ADRA Canada's work, you can visit our website at adra.ca. And for more podcasts like this one, I invite you to visit adra.ca forward slash podcasts. Mm-hmm.